see. We're on a mission from God. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Qureshi, and this week I have a friend from afar. She's somebody I've never, ever met in person, and yet I feel like I know her probably because I follow her on multiple social media platforms, and uh, I, I just think she's cool as shit. So welcome and hello to Fernanda Meyer. Hi, hola, que tal? Okay, okay. You are you're you're coming to us live from Puerto Rico? Yes. Yeah. Rio Grande, Puerto Rico, which is east of San Juan, if you're looking at an image of the island. And I am approximately half a mile away from the entrance to El Yunque, which is the only tropical rainforest on the US forest reserve list. Ooh. So um, I'll just get this out of the way right away. You have the best Instagram and there are lots of pictures of that rainforest and other really cool shit. So anybody like legit, I have maybe five people that I must follow on Instagram and you're one of them. Wow. Thank you. I will actually post a link in the show notes to all your social media because because if you're just not following her, you're a fool. That's all. That's all. That is quite the compliment. Thank you. I honestly don't even, I, I, when I post anything, nine times out of 10, it's like I'm talking to myself or creating a photo album for myself. Mm. So hearing that and knowing that people are out there engaging with the things that I put on the World Wide Web will never get old. Yeah. It will never get old. And I've been on social media for 15 plus years and on the internet since the dawn of the internet. <laughs> so I guess I'm dating myself a little bit, but I am a proud 42 year old who mm. learned how to type on a typewriter. Yep. And now I'm using swipe and dictation on a pocket computer. So I consider myself lucky to have been here for the dawn of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why we get along. We have a very similar generational vibe and, and we both had full lives full analog lives before the world went digital. And so I, I see that reflected in a lot of the stuff that you do and the way that you present. And I have to say, uh, you know, like just your photos and the stuff that you put out there inspires me to look for those kinds of beautiful situations and places around me. It's kind of like, oh, you know, and, and some of the stuff that you post is just very simple, but so perfect, right? Like, I mean, you know, a fucking leaf on a plant or something. And it'll be like, wow, that's an amazing photo. And then that makes me turn around and look at my surroundings. And I'm like, what is beautiful around me? And it's, it's a really nice exercise. That's fantastic. And to be honest, that is something that I hope people do because it's an exercise that my therapist gave me to do many, many years ago. Mm. And um, it, I call it beauty in the breakdown. Yeah. Um, which can mean looking at things as simply as a leaf on a plant or looking at a pile of garbage. Yep. Uh, when I travel, I'm always, and when I say travel, I don't just mean get on a plane or train or automobile. I mean, sometimes it's walking the two miles to the post office where I live now. 
Um, today on my walk to the post office, I took 30 pictures. Wow. So, yeah. And I mean, it's just nature and plants and flowers and a couple of buildings that have been completely taken over by plant life, which I am obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And what it does it is, is it helps me, I guess, go away from having a completely negative or sad experience in a moment and helps me refocus by looking at something that has nothing to do with me. But being able to look for something good in that mm. is a great thought exercise just in general. Yeah. It helps to refocus. And then it also is just, you know, something cool to have later because it, in that moment, I'm not concentrating on whatever's wrong. So shout out to my therapist for that. <laughs> and it shows in my photos. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Okay, let's start before we really start talking because my goodness, I can already tell this is going to be a good conversation. Let's do our little icebreaker questions. So question number one is what is the last thing you watched on television? Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. um, does my laptop count because I don't own a television? Yes. <laughs> okay. So Doom Patrol. Oh, what's that? I have started watching Doom Patrol on, I believe, HBO Max. And it is from the DC comic universe. Okay. And it is a story of five wayward miscreants, uh, one of whom is actually kind of a superhero, who come together to eventually become their own troop of superheroes. But what's interesting about it is that all of them are mentally jacked. I mean, every single one of them has so much trauma and so many issues. I tweeted the other day that watching it kind of feels like I'm eavesdropping on someone's therapy session. Wow. Because they work through all of that. The caveat is that most of these superheroes have obtained their powers through traumatic experience. Right. So in one case, um, one of the superheroes is in a horrific plane accident and is burnt to a crisp. But as the accident is happening, and this is not a spoiler because you see it in the first five minutes of the first episode, um, he is shocked by this radioactive being. Hmm. So he ends up living and then starts being tested by government agencies. Another one is uh, a gentleman who had a very narcissistic, high-profile race car driver career, ends up having a terrible accident, and he and his wife both die, but he lives, and his brain is then put into a mechanical robot. Ooh. So each of the stories is just really quite sad to start off with, and then you watch them work through all of the trauma leading up to them having these superpowers and the superpowers are not all cute. One of them is a woman who literally turns into this growth blob. She's gorgeous <laughs> in real life. And she turns into what I can only describe as like the baby of diarrhea and silly putty. Oh my she God. Gets, yeah. And she hasn't quite figured out how to harness it yet. She's getting there, but yeah, doom patrol is something. It, it is really something. And it is not your typical superhero, anything which is probably why I enjoy it. It's escapism, but there's just a tinge of like mental health realness to, to keep me involved. Wow. Okay. Uh, that sounds amazing. And I have HBO Max, so I will check it out. 
There it is. Very cool. Um, okay, and I'm surprised I had not even, this is the first I'm even hearing of this show, so uh, that's a really cool thing to find out. Um, Same for me. I recently learned about it, I mean, less than a month ago, only to find out that there are three whole seasons. Oh. So it is perfect for binging. Is anybody famous that I might know in it? Brendan Fraser. What? Yes! No! Yes! I love you! robot! So do I. Yes. <laughs> oh wow, that's okay. I'm sold. Excellent. Yeah, and and he is amazing. Again, I feel like I'm peeking in on someone's therapy session. It's so good. What? This is amazing. Okay. All right. Well, now, now let's just quit the podcast and go watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> right. Also, a podcast uh, future episode idea: watching things together. Oh, that is a good idea. That would be really fun, actually. Um, I watched I watched Alien for the first time in my life the other night and live tweeted it. Sigourney Weaver Alien. Yeah, yeah, I'd never seen it before. Wow. Yeah, and it was righteous. I loved it. But yeah, I I felt the need to because no one else was watching it with me. I felt the need to tweet it out. So uh, I think there's something to that. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Live tweeting anything makes you feel like you're not alone in a room. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Second question is, what's the last book that you read? Ooh, I am currently reading by Ted Chang, Exhalations. Mm. It is a collection of short stories, but really it's philosophical as all get out. Ted Chang is a philosopher, whether he wants to admit it or not. (laughs) Uh, His last name is spelled C-H-I-A-N-G. And each of the stories is anywhere from we'll say 15 to 25 pages usually. Yeah. Uh, And I've read some of them over and over again because a lot of them apply in different cases. He often writes from first person perspective. There is a little bit of jumping chronologically in some of the stories, but by the end of it, it's wrapped up really, really nicely. Yeah. And it's a series of life lessons told in these really rich, descriptive stories about all kinds of people most of the protagonists are cishet men mm-hmm. but even when he does write from a perspective of a femme or woman in the story it feels authentic nice yeah exhalation all jam. right uh yeah that sounds like my kind of jam and i really like the i like short or or books that have kind of short vignettes so that i can you know because i have to press pause on my books a lot Yes. There's so much going on. So then I can get something out of it, put it down and come back to it and still um, still in, you know, pick up and get something out of it again without having to <laughs> reread things. <laughs> okay, so the last icebreaker question, and I'm really counting on you for this one. What no pressure. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast today? Well, considering that breakfast was about 17 minutes before this podcast started, <laughs> that's an easy one. Oh. Um, I had a gluten-free peanut butter granola and protein bar. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, is that your That was the yuckiest fare? thing I have ever said in my life. <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that uh, your usual fare? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even remotely. 
it, it was one of those like, oh shit, I haven't eaten anything today and I need to talk to someone for an hour without passing out. Let me scarf this down my gullet. Got it. Um, my typical breakfast, and this is, I'm speaking from a place of privilege, I have avocados on a tree in front mm. of my flat. And Ugh. so I usually have half an avocado, one or two scrambled or fried eggs, uh, banana also from the tree in front of my flat. Um, guavas will be back in season in a couple months. So I'll, I'm sure I'll add some fruit to that. But yeah, I am very spoiled. My neighbor has chickens, so I can get the eggs there. And that is usually what I have with two to 12 cups of coffee. <laughs> okay. Um, you are, you eat so well. Like, again, part of, part of the joy of following you on Instagram is, is looking at pictures of your food and it like, it's beautiful food. It's nutritious food. And it's the kind of food that you, you look at your photos and you're like, I really need to be taking better care of myself because, because uh, <laughs> uh, this person, uh, she, she is living her best life. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, honestly, Fernanda, I feel like you are, you are in my mind and, and I don't admittedly, I mean, we're not, close friends I just know you from the internet and have known you for a while but like I I picture you as a as a James Bond kind of figure oh, I love him <laughs> you are like this fabulous fucking creature that just like roams the earth has adventures eats and drinks like a queen and you know has you know, occasional affairs with beautiful people and it's just like, and as you know, you're beautiful yourself and it's just like, wow, like, wow, <laughs> that person is awesome. Right. And I, do, I mean, I don't know, like how, how did you come to be? How did you come to be so amazing? That is, I, how much time do we have? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I will tell you that I've never heard my life quite described in that way, but that is hella accurate. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to play this bit of the podcast back anytime I lament about how sad I am or how boring my life is, because <laughs> I guess it really isn't. I'm plucking fruits and vegetables from trees in front of my house for food. Um, yeah, and you can and walk down to the rainforest. It's pretty yes. awesome. Yeah. I can walk to the rainforest. Hell, I live in the rainforest. It yeah. was raining 20 minutes before this, and yeah. now it's beautiful, and we're going to have a gorgeous sunset. The way I got here is not happy. Now yeah. that I think about it, a lot of it is trauma-based. Mm -hmm. um, not physical trauma, per se, but being a third-culture kid, a.k.a. an immigrant, who was raised here, but straddles the line between the United States and every other country that I've lived in since birth. Mm -hmm. um, there is just a lot in that. My mother and her mother are devout Catholics to the point where we used to jokingly call my grandmother the Pope S. So wow. there's a hefty dose of Catholic guilt in there. Mm. Um, my dad is somewhat agnostic. So he was just always kind of like, you're going to church with your mother, but you're not going right. But she is. So you're going, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, 
And then to your point about eating well and taking pictures of my food, that came from a place of having to have a food diary six or seven years ago. Mm. Um, my mother was put on the kidney donor list for transplant. Oh yeah. And I wanted to donate my kidney to her. And so I went to the doctor and they ran a bunch of tests and took a bunch of blood. And even before any of the results came back, the doctor sat down with me and he said, look, um, even if you are a match, you are more than 40% over the recommended BMI to mm. be a donor. Okay. So if you need to actually give somebody a kidney, you need to save yourself first. And that hit me like a ton of fucking bricks. Wow. Um, and that launched, for lack of a better description, my living my best life. Because in order for me to do that, I had to eat better. I had to work out and move just in general. Mm -hmm. And I needed to stop smoking cigarettes. I needed to do a whole bunch of things, a complete lifestyle shift because losing weight, as I have realized after so many years of doing it the wrong way, it's not about losing weight. It's about changing your lifestyle. Yep. And the concept of losing weight has become punitive. Yeah. And the way that we consume food and talk about food and diet is also punitive. And shout out to my therapist again. I'm definitely sending this to her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she basically helped me realize that until I stopped punishing myself and until I stopped realizing and until I realized that not eating was also punishment, yep. it was never going to be long-term. So I started taking photos of my food for a food diary um, because I have ADHD and I couldn't remember what I'd had for breakfast that morning, let alone, you know, what I ate the night before, how many calories, blah, blah, blah. So instead of tracking things on paper or with an app and writing stuff down, I started taking pictures. And that is actually how my Instagram came to be in 2012 or 13. So what I realized was food that was bad for me, low nutritional value, high fat, et cetera, et cetera, my faves, yeah. um, looked terrible on film absolutely terrible have you ever tried to photograph a proper burger it looks like shit <laughs> so i have not <laughs> it, it looks terrible and i mean you can make burgers and fries look cute but that's lighting yeah. and that's a whole food stylist job to be honest yeah but something that you just have in front of you if it doesn't have texture or color if it is devoid of you know crunchy vegetables or if it doesn't have fruit or, you know, there are so many things that go into a photo that if the food itself looks awful in a picture, chances are it's bad for you. That is a good rule of thumb. So that's why I eat octopus and pretty fish. And, you know, I try to make smiley faces with my eggs and such. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> because great. The, the better it looks, the better it is for you. That is, I, I think I may adopt that as a, uh as my own little mantra, because I think, I think there's something to that. I do, you know, and you know, it, it's true. Even when you look at photos of food, it's always food that's colorful and, you know, you can tell there's care that's gone into it and it's not just, you know, a bunch of slop. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And it's great too, because it kind of forces you to 
play more of an active role in your food. Mm -hmm. So whether I'm at a restaurant or I'm making food at home, I want it to look like I will enjoy it as well as look okay in a photo. Right. So I love oatmeal. Oatmeal does not photograph well, but (laughs) if I add nuts and if I add raisins and if I, you know, throw some chia seeds on there, voila, masterpiece. Yes. And all of those different textures are also excellent for you Mm health-wise. So you've gone from taking this womp womp photo of oatmeal to now giving yourself extra sustenance and having a great photo. Wonderful. And you, so, and just to kind of piggyback off that, did you, um, I mean, I know you are a photographer. You have a website where you sell prints and things like that. Like, did you, how did that develop as part of your, I guess, your creative efforts? I have to thank my mom for that. Hmm. Uh, When we moved to the United States from Ghana, it was very difficult for me. And when we moved from, we moved to Florida first. And then from Florida, we moved to Racine, Wisconsin, um, which most people do not know is the international headquarters of SC Johnson, a family company. <laughs> Did not and, know that. Yeah. Racine, Wisconsin, of all places, north of Kenosha, south of Milwaukee, right on the lake. Huh. My parents are still there. Wow. And when we moved there, that was doubly difficult for me because I was an adolescent. I was a black girl with glasses and tinge of an accent. And I was heavy set. And then I went to this super white state to a super white Catholic middle school. And everything was just unfamiliar and alien and awful. Mm. And one of the things that I always was good at was academics. And so I was talking in class really not to piss off my teacher or to be a know-it-all, but frankly, the curriculum was a little bit beneath me. And mm-hmm. so as a bored, bright kid, I would always raise my hand or talk to my peers and all of these things. And so I'd get in trouble a little bit, Catholic school. Yeah. And my mom was like, okay, she needs an outlet. And I had no idea that this was her thought process. I just knew that She enrolled me in these community-based photography classes, and I was one of just a couple kids and with a bunch of adults, which I found interesting, but it was very cool because they totally egged me on and would ask me questions and made me feel smart. And I remember making a pinhole camera with a shoebox. And when we developed the film and I saw that I could make a picture with a hole in a cardboard box, something clicked. Wow. From from that point forward, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I can do this. I want to do this. People get paid to do this? What? Right. Uh, but we were poor, and so camera equipment was not a thing. We yeah. didn't have it. I got some hand-me-down cameras. Um, my mom got me a camera from, I think, Goodwill or another thrift store. And so I just kept doing it. Um I was semi-formally trained up and through high school and learned how to develop 35 millimeter film, even large print format. Wow. And I worked at, wait for it, Glass from the Past, one hour moto photo. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> I remember. Yes. <laughs> I was the high school kid who worked at one hour moto photo and I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then went to college and that all but fell off the radar completely. I was still taking pictures, but it was more like 
here's me drunk with my friends and not so much on the artistic side, but then I started traveling and then photos and, and photography, AKA mapping light really came back to the forefront of my mind. And I've just been snapping ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's clear that you have talent for it, that it's a a passion of yours. And like I said, the photographs you take are excellent. I'm curious to know how did your approach to photography change when you got a cell phone? What I'm probably, again, I'm dating myself. Um, I had a cell phone for the first time in 1997. It was a silver cell phone with, oh yeah. It had a wood grain on the front. It was not a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And the screen was just two shades of green lit up or not. (laughs) Still had to pay for your text messages. And you had to pay if you were talking before 7 p.m. or after 7 a.m. How big, how big was it? Um, if you extend all of your fingers out from about your wrist to the tip of your middle finger. Okay. All right. So it wasn't ginormous. My uncle had that one. He had like the super cool, like could go from your car to the house to the, you know, with the satchel, like he had that one. And I always thought he was the coolest. Um, now he hates cell phones, which is hilarious. But with that little, well, little to me at the time with that little device, I felt free. Mm -hmm. I felt like I could go anywhere and do anything and LOL, you know, that was just such a cool thing for me. So fast forward, what, nine or 10 years later when Apple came out with the first digital camera on a cell phone um, in the United States because Windows and Nokia had it in other countries, but in the US, Apple was the first. I remember looking at friends and just being so green with envy that they could do that and they weren't having to carry around these big honking cameras. Mind you, early digital photography on cell phones was shite, Uh like blurry. It didn't matter how much you cleaned your screen, it looked like you shot it underwater. Yep. (laughs) But it was still so cool. So, when I finally was able to start using my own money to buy cell phones that had cameras, mm-hmm. the first one I got was a Windows phone. And I loved it. It, mm-hmm. to this day, took some of the best photos I have ever taken with a mobile device. Really? I still have it. I have both of the ones that I bought. Oh, yeah. I was a Windows user for seven years. Hmm. Um, and people would mock me because I had this huge lens on the back of my cam- uh, on the back of my phone. Yeah. And everyone was like, ew, what is that? And I'm like, uh, hold on. Take a photo and show them. Oh, my God. This is so good. And then I became the night's photographer. Mm. So people stopped talking shit about my Windows phone <laughs> the minute they saw the pictures. Yeah, yeah. But that really was amazing for me because I could leave my camera in my hotel room or at home when I traveled. Yeah. So it was just my phone and I could take incredible images and make incredible images and not have to worry about developing film or transferring photos from the SD card to the laptop to the heart. Just uh uh-uh. that it, it, 
it revolutionized photography for me mm-hmm. and um, you know, the world in general, it made photography more accessible. Yep. Now the flip side to that is it was also the rise of narcissism in my eyes. And one of the reasons why social media is a hell pit for me and why I have unfollowed easily 75% of the people who I started following in the last 10 years, because every picture is a selfie. Yeah. Every photo people go to Europe and they go to Eiffel tower. I can't see the goddamn Eiffel tower. All I see is your forehead. (laughs) Why are you in every single photo when you travel? We know you were there. You took the picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So are you traveling to travel or are you traveling to say, I took a selfie in front of the Eiffel tower? Cause mm. that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so while I love what cell phones have done for me and for photography in general, I abhor what they have done for narcissism in society. Yeah. Do you think that it's, increased narcissism or has it just made it more visible for all of us yes <laughs> uh, fair enough yeah <laughs> and i i'm thinking of one of my girlfriends in particular who is just as introverted and hermit e as you i mean she is like one grocery trip away from being uh what you call the people who never leave their house a prepper that too. Oh, oh, like a, um, uh, agoraphobe. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, she's like she goes to the grocery store once a week, and that is it. And she doesn't even leave the car. This is pre-pandemic, mind you. Like she mm. would do the the bring to the car thing or like the pickup thing yeah. well before the panini. So she was ready when the panicata happened. <laughs> uh, she has gone from being this really sweet, introverted, almost mousy type character to now posting a selfie every 12 to 18 hours. What? I swear to Christ, her Instagram would implode if she goes more than 24 hours without posting a picture of her face. Huh. I've never seen anything like it. And she's not... um, uh, she, She doesn't seek attention. She's not looking for male gaze. None of these things. She doesn't even date. Yeah. But she just loves taking selfies in her apartment. Oh, her with the plant, her with the cat, her with the other cat. I mean, there are one or two cat photos in there as well, but every other picture is of her. That's interesting. Yes. She does not own a camera that is not a cell phone. So Hmm. were it not for her cell phone, she would not be taking selfies. I think this is an interesting, I mean, I, I've gone through phases, like I've gone through, you know, points in my life where I was very selfie heavy and then periods where I didn't want to take any selfies at all. And and I've noticed other people do this too, right? Like there are certain Mm -hmm. people that I, I know and I've known for a long time and every so often they'll have like a little spurt of like just being really selfie heavy. And I wonder I mean, I think it's easy to say that it's narcissism, but I also wonder if we're looking for some kind of, I don't know, like some kind of verification of our existence, yes. right? Like, yes. I think it's an interesting 
form of self-exploration, I also do think that it gets narcissistic real quick and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of ugly, but you know, I mean, I don't know what to think about. I don't know what to think about the selfie situation. I, I don't hate them. And I think that they have their place and I think mm-hmm. you can do them nicely. But I also think that if that's the only, and I think this is the point you're making, that's the only way you're using that technology. Yeah. Then I think you're, you're kind of missing the, the point of whatever form of expression there is to be had in, in photography. I absolutely agree with that point about verification. Mm-hmm. And to that point, there are some therapists who have recommended to their patients as they lose weight, that they document that journey yeah. in frequent photos yeah. because body dysmorphia is real. Yeah. 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 So on the one hand, taking photos of yourself can help combat body dysmorphia, but on the other, it can actually encourage and foster body dysmorphia yep. through filters and through, you know, presets and different lenses and all of these things. And, you know, watching the show, the documentary, uh, the social dilemma, mm-hmm. or is it the social network? One of the two, they're both a thing. One mm-hmm. I think is a movie and one's a documentary, but it talks about how you can see where social media picks up in the last 25 years in terms of number of suicide attempts in young girls between 12 and 18. Yeah. In terms of mental health emergencies in young people under 24, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that is directly correlated to body dysmorphia via social media filters and photos. Yeah. And there's so many studies about that. So it's one of those things that can be awesome or evil. Yeah. Depending on who is using it and how. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this actually right before we got, uh, got on this call because I went to fill up my water bottle and I have ordered, I ordered a bottle <laughs> that has an app with it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's supposed to like help you track your water intake. And I was like thinking about, oh, I can't wait till that comes, you know, to, you know, kind of help me keep track. And then I was thinking, you know, that, that is kind of a, a weird thing. Cause I, am I actually trying to, I, there's a difference between uh, a habit and a dependency, Right. Ooh. And we are, I, I, you know, we, we engage with technology a lot because we think it's going to help us improve our habits, but I'm, I'm wondering how much of that actually turns out to be a dependency. I don't, I don't want to need an app to remind me to drink water. I, I need to be able to do that myself. Right. So where's that line? And I know that it's not cut and dry and it's not the same for everybody, but I don't think that we are all fully conscious of that right now. I don't think we're all thinking through our engagement, our own engagement with our technology and whether or not it's, it is helping us be better people or we're just giving away our humanity, you know, giving away some of the burden of our humanity to these, uh, these objects and, uh, you know, and, and becoming dependent on them. Something you said just now made me think of something else, which is that if we as people had the time and space to do self-care, yeah. We probably wouldn't need apps to tell us to wash our faces, um, <laughs> to drink water, how long to brush our teeth. I have an electric toothbrush that I love. Shout out to Oral-B. This mm-hmm. is not an ad. <laughs> and I love that it vibrates after each minute. 
because you know the American Dental Association recommends a minimum of two minutes of brushing twice per day. Mm-hmm. So I know that when it has vibrated twice, my two minutes is up and I feel good about that. And then I plug it back in and I'll see you in the morning, right? Yep. So I love that. Am I dependent on that? Maybe. <laughs> when I travel, I don't take it with me. And so I will look or play a song or, you know, time myself on my Apple Watch, another piece of technology that I feel naked without, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, but all of those things I tell myself make me <laughs> live or help me and enable me to live a better and healthier life. Um, but if I actually could take myself away from my computer, away from my phone, guilt-free, and take half an hour every few hours to myself, I would probably do those things naturally. Hmm. And I feel like those technological advances, because they are advances, are a byproduct of us spending too much time not on ourselves. Hmm. Okay. Because if you could sit quietly for 30 minutes, you would be like, oh, my lips are chapped. Huh. My mouth is dry. You know, I've got a tinge of a headache. I should probably drink some water. Instead, you've got what is probably a really attractive water bottle with a light on it or a chirp or, Mm -hmm. you know, your phone vibrates. There's some notification based on an algorithm that says this person is this age, weighs this much. And should probably consume this amount of water. Like there's so much math. Right. Instead of you just thinking to yourself, huh, my fingers feel kind of interesting. Oh, my mouth is dry. Oh, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we're completely yeah. ignoring the natural notifications in lieu of the flashing and vibrating ones. And yeah. that's wild to me. Maybe, you know, I feel like we spent the last century distancing ourselves from the natural world and it may be that we're going to spend the next century distancing ourselves from our our own humanity right oh i listen i couldn't agree with you more continue (laughs) i think that's all i had to say about that but no but you you see like last last century how everything got industrialized and how people moved into cities and you know it's very people just don't even know how to engage with the natural world anymore. And I think that we're, we're going in that direction with technology where we're, we're, I mean, look, I, I don't want to be doom and gloom and all paranoid and whatever, but also I feel like we are trying to integrate beyond what might actually be human with the technology that we've created. And I don't know, you know, I'm going to, I'm probably, well, I am going to die, you know, like <laughs> before the next century ends. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I try not to spend too much time worrying about that, but you know, as a human being, I also have what I consider a vested interest in the future of my species. And I would really like to see us not do that. I, I think that there are really important and valuable things that, um, that we gain from being in touch with our own humanity and our own bodies and the fact that that it's so easy to divorce ourselves from that and and gets easier every day is um frankly i think it's 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 very concerning absolutely i am a little bit doom and gloom 
<laughs> but I, I like to think of it as realism. Yeah. Uh, I am obsessed with environmental conservation. Mm-hmm. And I will be the first to say that I do a lot of things wrong. I don't mm-hmm. recycle as much as I should. I don't upcycle as much as I should. I do not reduce, reuse, or recycle as much as I should. And even that I know is still leaps and bounds beyond what the average person does anywhere in the world. Mm. Now, Japan is one of the best at recycling I've ever seen in my life. They have you separate plastics from every kind of plastic. Soda bottles have a plastic. Water bottles have a plastic bin. Cans have a plastic. Everything has its own bin. The recycling bin stations in Japan, everywhere, everywhere, Hmm. from the forests and the mountains to the big cities like Tokyo and Osaka, there are recycling stations every two blocks. Hmm. There is no trash on the floor. You are not even supposed to eat or drink on the trains. Like when I tell you that they have taken conservation to the limit yeah i aspire i truly aspire um but i say that because they figured out in in no small part due to nuclear catastrophe Mm. that they live on a series of islands and those are the only islands they've got yep there is no japan too there is no earth too right yep so the places that get it have that we are in touch with our humanity thing going yeah the places that waste the most <clears throat> united states canada <laughs> europe um they are not in tune with that yeah. we are perfectly happy making more cars buying a new blender making another coffee machine buying that like how much plastic is in your house that is attached to technology that's to make your life easier yeah. so we've convinced ourselves that plastic, which comes from fossil fuels, which are non-renewable, <laughs> is, in, is, is paramount in our lives. We have to have it. The plastic dependency is like a drug. Yeah. So I am doom and gloom in that respect because I see, I see it happening. I went home to Ghana right before the world broke, and I went on a walking tour with a young man named Edem. And he kept trying to like take me away from this one particular beach area. And I was like, why, 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 why can't we go down there? Why must we walk away? <laughs> and he said, oh, my sister, I don't want you to see. And I said, don't want me to see what? My Westerner kicked right in, right? Yeah. yeah. And he says, oh, but this is not good. I said, no, we're going. <laughs> this is my morbid curiosity at this point. <laughs> And we walked down to the beach and Amanda, when I tell you it was trash as far as the eye could see, I wrote about it. I posted photos about it. I'm still fashioning some sort of an essay about it because I'm not done thinking about it. Wow. And a lot of it was clothing. I later learned through rabid research that Ghana is one of three destinations for throwaway clothes. So oh my God. the clothes from the Super Bowl champions who didn't win, the clothes from Forever 21, from ASO, all the stuff that doesn't get sold gets packed up onto these huge barges at different points all around the United States and Canada and Europe. And then they send these barges off to Western Africa, Southeast Asia, 
all poor and post-colonial countries. Mm -hmm. And then some of them get sold in these outdoor markets, but 99% of it doesn't. Wow. And a lot of it just gets tossed overboard. My God. The ocean is our dumpster. Yeah. So I'm looking at all of this trash and mostly clothes on the beach and I just start crying. And the poor thing, he was, didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> and then he's just looking at me and he's, you know, searching his pockets for a handkerchief or something. I said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll get over it. Let's, you know, keep walking. And we did. Yeah. A few days later, I went to the coast with my sister. Same thing. Oh. Just garbage, mostly clothes as far as the eye could see. And tourists won't see that because just like Edem did with me, he veered me away. Right. These are not popular tourist areas. So you're not going to see that unless you are a resident, a local. You are most affected by it and you can do nothing about it. So, yeah, conservation is something that is important to me. But travel is what has really brought that home because I have seen how, as they say, the other half live. And it ain't great. And it's our fault. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. And I, I think there's something to that. I mean, whenever you, whenever we travel, whenever Westerners travel, they, there's almost always a destination where, um, where it's contrived, right? It's a bubble and we go there and we pretend that we're experiencing that place, but, uh, you step outside of that little bubble and it's a completely different world. But, but Americans don't like adventure in that, Mm -hmm. in that sense. They want the, they want the idea of an adventure, but they don't want to actually experience differences that are really profound and they don't want to see things that challenge their perception of the world. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think it, it's wise to try to get out uh, of the, you know, whatever tourist kind of stuff there is wherever you're going. But I feel like there's so much momentum already built toward self-destruction, you know, especially like vis-a-vis the, the environment, the way that we treat the environment. And, and I'll I'll just say this. I don't think the environment is going to die. I think it's going to kill us. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, it'll I be fine. Conversation. Yeah, oh, the yeah. earth is going to no, be no, no. fine. Yeah. Uh, you've seen me tweet this probably a thousand times. Humans need nature. Nature does not need humans. Right. And all the forest fires, the earthquakes, the volcanic eruptions, the tornadoes, the hurricanes. Honey. Yep. The climate crisis is our reckoning. Yep. That is mother nature kicking us the fuck out. Yep. Get out of my house. <laughs> you interloper, you overstayed your welcome. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with viruses and pandemics. Like that is mother nature's cleansing process. It's not this, oh, the earth is dying. It is the opposite. She right. is trying to get us the fuck out of the paint. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. It's like, uh, and I, I think it was in the matrix. I don't know. It was a long time ago that I saw that movie, but there was some statement about how, how we humans are the virus of the earth. Um, mm-hmm. because, because the vi- a virus is the only 
a virus will will destroy its own host, right? All Correct. other all other members of the natural world um, live in symbiosis. Yes, 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 exactly. So uh, I think there's something to that, and uh, you know, like I said again, uh, I'm at the point in my life. <laughs> I'm 47. I'm you know doing some math, and I'm like, yeah, I have you know this much time left. Um, so I, I don't spend a lot of time feeling stressed or panicked about it. I feel real mm-hmm. bad for my kids cause I know they do, but, mm-hmm. um, but at some point, you know, it's, it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Oh, it's biting. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah, it, it is. Biting. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the thing that I, I can't stop thinking about and that truly does keep me up at night is that those of us who are privileged enough to live in the global North are seeing it many, many years and decades after everybody else. Yeah. So it's just now coming to our backyards, whereas people in places like Tanzania, Zimbabwe, South Africa, um, even Southeastern Asia, Jakarta, which is the capital of Indonesia used to be located on the Southwestern coast of the largest Indonesian island. Jakarta, the capital, has now been moved approximately 300 miles north and 30 miles inland. Why, you ask? Because it's sinking. Yeah. And so (laughs) when I was reading about it, I thought to myself, huh, huh, they see it coming. Yeah. And they've had to move because of it. And it's still called Jakarta. Yeah. It's just north. But now the problem is that it is closer to Borneo, which is protected, and there are orangutans who are on the endangered species list who are being encroached upon in their already tiny habitat. Mm. So deforestation got to them decades ago, and just as they were starting to rebound, now Indonesia has decided that the capital has to be there, so they're building, Yeah. right? It's just awful. It's this terrible cycle of humans fucking shit up. Yeah. Yes. Why, 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 why? Like, it, I guess what it is, is what's so frustrating. And, you know, this is the thing that the pandemic just drove home for me. Like, I spent 2020 wrestling with the limitations of the human race and the realization that this is the ultimate group project and <laughs> like none of us, like we are all going to fail because negative F, you know we what are, I mean? We are getting a group grade of a negative F right now. Yes. yes. F minus Yes. for everybody. Yes. It, it defies logic. That is, that is the hardest thing to swallow. Um, and probably Ooh, the but most. But it doesn't. Oh. oh. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay. Okay. Another book that I have read, but I keep going back to, it's called The Psychology of Pandemics, written by Stephen Taylor, who is a professor at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Okay. He wrote the book, I want to say in 2016 or 17, it was published in 18, and then guess what happened in 2019? Mm Mm-hmm. COVID. So... If you were to read this book before COVID happened, you would think that this man was Miss Cleo reincarnated. Like, <laughs> Does anyone remember Miss Cleo? I so <laughs> think about her at least once a week. <laughs> I, I mean, can't do that. Yes, I loved her. 
Okay. Call me now. Yes. Um, she was from Sarasota, which makes that even more Oh, funny. my God. <laughs> Not a lick of Jamaican anywhere in there. No West Indian, <laughs> nothing. Um, I was sad when she died, but that's completely beside the point. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. So <laughs> he um, basically, quote, predicted all of these stages of what I like to call pandemic psychosis, which are people who are in complete denial of science, who are doing things in defiance of logic, and who specifically are acting against instinct, which is the nature to survive. Wow. Right? They are completely defying the survival instinct that humans have as self-preservation. Because with the vaccine, you are keeping yourself safe. With a mask or safer. With Mm -hmm. a mask, you are keeping yourself safer. Hand washing, safer. And so whether or not you believe those things on a political level level or a scientific one, ultimately you should be concerned about self-preservation. You instinctually are going to do things that are going to keep you alive. And so all of the the anti-masking, the protests, the fights at school board meetings, which to this day blows my mind, like you're really fighting other people about children not wanting to die at what? He talks about all of that and he talks about it because it happens every time there's a pandemic. Interesting. And it happens primarily in the global North. Mm. These are not issues that people in Central Africa or Southeast Asia have because they are used to wearing masks, washing hands. They have dealt with and are continuing to deal with things like Ebola and malaria. Mm -hmm. So their hygiene is on 100 even though they don't have running water, you will see these stands where it's the pump action, sink and hand washing before people get on a bus at a bus depot. Hmm. Could you imagine if they put a sink at, at the subway station no. or at a bus stop in the United States? People would lose their minds. Yeah. Huh. So it, he talks about all of this in this book and it, a lot of it is science speak, but he presents it in such a way that an average layperson. Yeah. could easily pick up and, and understand what he's talking about. Wow. And there are photos from, you know, the flu of 1812 where, I'm sorry, 1918, where, you know, there are people who are wearing masks from conservative families, from government families. And they're wearing masks in the 80s at the rise of the AIDS pandemic because yeah. at that time they thought queers breathed AIDS. Yep. So these same people... 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been in the streets wearing masks because they were so afraid of us poor people getting them sick. Yeah. And now that has completely flipped and it is just wild. But yes, the psychology of pandemics, please, 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 please. Totally worth it as an ebook on Amazon or wherever you get your books from. Okay. All right. Also not an ad. (laughs) I just want to state for the record that I'm completely open to any kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, sponsorship uh, from yes. anyone, really, anyone, except maybe, you know, Nazis and, uh, uh, I, I don't know, that's about it, Nazis. And uh, their ilk. And their ilk, yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, uh, I think that sounds really fascinating because I do believe at the end of the day that this is a, it is a human problem. And I don't really know I mean, I think that's the most baffling thing about our species is we just, we, we have the ability to create this alternate 
universe in our minds in which the laws of nature and all, you know, that impact everything else don't apply to us. <laughs> right. And that, that's, that has to, that's with health. It's with, uh, it's with the environment. It's with everything. And I just don't, I just don't see how, you know, in most of our, our idiosyncrasies have some kind of evolutionary uh, benefit, but I just don't see how that helps us. I don't, I don't, I don't see how it helps us to not look at things and see the truth and the facts and the reality of the situation. What, especially when ignoring them undermines our own safety and can kill us. It can literally kill us. Yeah. Like we're not, this isn't like just a theoretical exercise anymore. So nope. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think, but, but like I said, this is something that I really grappled with. Cause you know, when you're, I don't know, maybe you didn't, but when I was a kid, I had very, this idea of what it was to be an adult and this idea that there were always going to be people smarter than me. And it was a damned shock when I got to be an adult and I realized that there are people running the fucking planet who are stupider than me. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? How is and this getting possible? paid? Yeah. Astronomical sums to do so. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, uh, and, and some of them, it's not even that they're stupid. It's that they're just willfully ignorant. Right. Or they are, um, or they're just bad. <laughs> yep. Right. And so, uh, you know, what is it, what is a thinking person to do? What is a, uh, a person who cares about all of these issues, but has limited influence in the world, right? What are we to do? I'm looking to you for all the you, answers now. I mean, I can give you like one very simple one. Yeah. Um, because it's the only one that keeps me from walking into the forest and never coming out, <laughs> uh, which I swear to Christ, I think about on a daily basis. Mm. Um, like these monkeys will adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it'll, it. It'll be like the jungle book. Me and these two cans are going to oh, do show do tunes. <laughs> um, Fun fact, there are flocks of parrots in Puerto Rico. Ew. So, yeah, you'll hear flock, flock, and you'll look, and they're not in a V or any sort of discernible pattern. Those are usually parrots. Mm. Wow. They really do their own thing. But they hang out together, which is cool. Hmm. I digress. Okay. Um, what keeps me from breaking daily is trying to affect the immediate things within my sphere of control. Yeah, yeah, yep. I That's literally right. it. That's why I take pictures of plant leaves. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, that's the thing that I keep coming back to again and again. Mm -hmm. it's, it's immediate sphere of control. And that has helped me even professionally and before the pandemic, because I was one of those who took their work home with them. I've always worked in either an educational or social work capacity of some sort mm -hmm. until the last four years-ish. Actually, that's a lie, too, because I was doing contact tracing and cluster investigation. Right. Lord, I keep getting sucked back in. Um, capitalism does not look good on me. But anywho, my immediate sphere of control is what, you know, every therapist will tell you things you can see, touch, taste, feel mm -hmm. here. And those are the things that keep me from walking into the jungle, but also that keep me from just feeling abject despair. 24 seven. Does it come and go in waves? Absolutely. Yeah. 
This planet has a grief reckoning that we are not even going to see the tip of the iceberg of until after we get COVID under control. Not until we reach global endemic status, like with the flu, are we actually going to be able to process what the fuck has happened since yeah. November 2019. Or since July 2019, if the reports coming out of Italy are to be believed, there was COVID in the sewer water in June and July of 2019 wow. in Italy. Wow. So it wasn't even Wuhan. Um, but yeah, it, it, if it were not for the things I can see, touch, taste, hear, smell, I would just be in the wind. Yeah. Because everything happening now is just so bad and so sad. Yeah. Well, I think... Um... I think we've always had a little bit of, you know, standing on the precipice. Um, I do think we're in a particularly uh, dangerous, precarious point in human history. Um, I hope, and I don't use that word often because I'm not a big fan of hope, but mm -hmm. but I, I try to keep a little bit in my back pocket for us um, collectively. And, uh, and I do agree with you that it's the things that we can we can actually impact immediately around us that we have to start with, including ourselves, like to your point mm -hmm. earlier, self-care. Um, but I do hope that you never disappear into the jungle because um, <laughs> my life would be much poorer without you. Uh, so please stay. Uh, you can visit. You can go in, say hi to the monkeys if you want, but uh, try try to stay among us for as long as you can, all right? I will deal, deal. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, Fernanda, you are delightful. I just, I, I admire you and appreciate you and I'm so grateful for your presence and your artistic voice. And um, I hope you'll come back and do another podcast with me. And, I would uh, love to. Good. And then we'll we'll make sure to, like I said, I want to point everyone in the direction of your your website and your social media so that people can know and love you like I do. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was fun. And yeah, yeah it went by really fast too, to, right? It did. It's, <laughs> like, how is it already over? I feel like we're still on introduction. <laughs> I know it every time this happens because you know why? Cause I try to only interview really interesting people. Um, and you Ooh. are absolutely one of the most interesting. So yeah. And the more interesting, the faster it goes. So yeah, but we'll have to do it again. I, I definitely want to do it again. Well, I am proud to be in the company of such other amazing, interesting people. So thank you. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves.